0: A young perspective on hot button issues around the world. This is The Hub.
1: Hello and welcome to The Hub. I'm, I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Gloomy and more uncertain. That is the IMF's forecast for 2022 and 2023. Not so long ago, it looked as though global growth was recovering from a long pandemic. But now, estimates have been cut by nearly half to 3.2%. What are the key challenges or even dangers likely to throw a spanner in the works and potentially sink the world economy? And could China be a global driver once again? For more on this, I'm joined in Beijing by Jorg Utke, President of the EU Chamber of Commerce in China, and also by Andy Mock, Senior Research Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, and with me here in the Beijing studio by Professor Liu Baocheng, Dean of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. Uh, Welcome, gentlemen. We saw this forecast. It's not the first time that we've encountered this, the MF downgrading the global economic forecast. Uh, First of all, I want to get your takeaway from this report. Uh, Professor Li, let me start with you. Uh, What's your biggest takeaway from this report?
2: Economists begin to uh, complain the credibility of uh, such sort of report. Uh, As a matter of fact, it is really the credibility of the reality That is there to provide a lot of vitality uh, and at the same time a lot more uncertainty that really uh, you know t- uh, provoked such sort of reports uh, from major international institutions to uh, change in a dramatic manner, you know from six point one to three point two. That's a, a big difference. but uh, uh, it is the, really the uh, global developments that create such a reality that uh, that is there to uh, boost the revision of such a sort of forecast. So, or uh, in all, we do not really see a very bright prospect, and also the uh, expectation that uh, for economic recovery, however slow it might be, uh, may, will not really be within easy reach. So, therefore, uh, it's really up to a number of uh, uh, uncertainties that uh, can really change the whole globe like the uh, pandemic control like the uh uh, ukraine conflict and uh, many other issues particularly global commodity prices etc so the world have to uh, manage uh, the the uncertainty and whether those risks are controllable is really not upon uh, individual government but also it's really the collective efforts of the global community to address such sort of issues.
1: Talking about risks, President Utke, we're living in an age where geopolitics oftentimes, if not always, uh, dictate uh, economic behaviors uh, on many occasions. Uh, The IMF report highlighted the risks of the war in Ukraine, among other things. Uh, What worries you the most?
3: As a matter of fact, the European Chamber launched a report, our survey, and you can see from the cover, that basically we're talking about black swan events uh, the good news you can also see on the cover it has a lighthouse so it's not all doom and gloom uh, uh, if the world actually uh, talks to each other meets together and talks about reforms and maintaining borders open actually uh, I think we can sort of maneuver through it but of course the two black swans has been the Russian attack on Ukraine or of course the recurrence of COVID uh, in China as China has been stabilizing the global economy. Uh, I think it's all down to how we manage it as companies. Uh, but of course, uh, I totally agree with my friend Bao Chang. It's going to be a far more difficult ride uh,
1: through the uh, year 2022-2023. Andy, is there a silver lining in all this? Or is it just all gloomy and uncertain um, from this IMF report?
0: Well, I think that, first of all, there is a silver lining. But before I get to that, I do want to add a little bit to things that we should worry about. Um, Recession certainly is on the table for some countries. But I think even more worrying is a potential sovereign debt crisis in the United States. And we know that debt crises uh, play out over decades and not years. And it was really only 10 years ago when S&P Global Uh, ratings downgraded the United States and it lost its AAA rating. And looking ahead, uh, there's really cause for concern from a financial perspective. Uh, U.S. government debt has exceeded $30 trillion. We just saw a 75-point basis, uh, 75 basis point interest rate increase uh, with more on the horizon that could hammer Uh, equity prices, but perhaps more worryingly, from a political perspective, the midterm elections in the United States are coming up uh, in November. If the Republicans seize control of the House, uh, impeachment proceedings against President Biden seem inevitable. We may see a return to this debt ceiling brinksmanship, which which could spark further turmoil in financial markets, not just in the U.S., but around the world. And then looking at, as Yorg mentioned, uh, the challenges in Ukraine. But Andy,
1: very quickly, um, uh, an impeachment potentially of Joe Biden over what allegations? If the uh, GOPs uh, regain control of the House?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of, uh, I guess, ideas. Some would say conspiracies floating around. Um, you know, I, I think that the specifics we have to see, but the polarization. Uh, certainly isn't in doubt, and we see members in the U.S. Congress that uh, are promoting this idea uh, that uh, Biden is not a legitimately elected president. So who knows? I mean, right. there's just so much uncertainty. But also, I just want to say here that the uh, Ukraine conflict has resulted in a big problem for uh, holders of U.S. debt in that the, uh, the grand bargain or the foundational agreement Uh, for trade around the world, especially with the U.S. and China, is that China buys U.S. government securities uh, with the expectation that the U.S. will remain a credible partner. And what we've seen uh, is the weaponization of the financial system, which is causing a lot of concern, not just for China, but Japan, other countries that hold U.S. government securities. So I think if we want to think about black swans, or I would even call this a gray rhino, Mm -hmm. uh, because we all know this exists. Uh, The question is not if, but when. Here's the silver lining that I see. COVID has really impacted the world and China in some very negative ways, but what we've seen in China is a tremendous resilience and adaptation that has caused short-term economic pain and social pain as well. But I think it positions China at the forefront of dealing with future challenges like this. and. The public health people that I've spoken to, I'm sure you've spoken to as well, say that this COVID pandemic will not be the last. Uh, We will experience other types of challenges like this. And I think we've developed the infrastructure that is more resilient. So we may see a decrease in old school globalization, but I think integration of China with the rest of the world will continue under these new, more resilient systems. And that's the silver lining that I see.
1: President Liu, uh, let me come back to you, and let's look at Europe first, before we dive into China. Um, we all know that rising food and energy prices are bad. Uh, it causes hardship and even political unrest. Uh, we saw the example of Sri Lanka, where protesters even deposed their president. Um, what's been done to stabilize these prices? Um, can Europe meet the challenges?
2: We have to learn to live to the reality and nobody really uh, predicted that uh, the uh, war in Ukraine could last so long and there could be so tough measures uh, uh, that is there to escalate such sort of tension and still. Uh, people are uh, still in a dark tunnel. We do not know when is really the end of it, and how the end could be. Uh, Because you know, people are, uh, you know, the Europeans are are getting more prepared for the rehabilitation and reconstruction of Ukraine. But uh, when is that going to start? The other is okay, you know, pandemic people, uh, or even two years ago, we thought, okay, within three months, it's going to be done. But now, uh, it seems that, uh, you know, there's a resurgence and resurgence, uh, the variation and the new variation, et cetera. And that really provokes the hike of uh, global uh, commodity prices, be it energy, food, and grain, etc. And just because of that, actually, that's a matter of social uh, psychology, where you know people uh, who even have more of the food and more of the energy, they would like to keep it uh, just in case of further disaster that might encounter. So, as a matter of fact, you see that uh, uh, Dr. Sen who uh, is the Nobel Lottery, he researched that during every famine there is surplus of food in India because the rich uh, would like to keep it more. And also, you know, those speculators might take unfair advantage of such sort of uh, a shortfall of uh, uh, this type of supply. And now the many of those vulnerable countries, less developed countries or least developed countries are really crying for uh, the basic kit for survival, it is really up to those able uh, countries uh, to really to extend their hand and do not say, "Okay, you know, uh, I'm having enough trouble. But this is the global community that everyone and every country, uh, every responsible uh, government and companies needs to do something to uh, keep this world afloat.
1: President Utke, I want to ask you about European politics. Uh, We've seen uh, Boris Johnson exiting from the British um, uh, prime ministership and also there's going to be a snap election in Italy uh, where Prime Minister Mario Draghi is uh, going out uh, as well. What is going to happen to European politics? Let me come back uh, to the first question
3: about uh, Europe and the war. The only solution is that the war ends. Uh, This unprovoked war has to end in order to then give more predictability. Commodity prices will remain high as long as the invasion continues. Uh, We have high energy prices, which in itself going to last for a while. The good news there is that now Europe is actually fast-tracking renewables. Uh, There will not be a going back on reliance on, on Russia. That might actually impact the Russian economy long term badly. And then, of course, commodities, uh, white wheat and maize and corn. Uh, the deal has been done, and the day after, uh, Russia has been shooting at the Odessa uh, uh, container uh, harbor uh, in order to undo this deal nearly. We need peace in that region as fast as possible. Um, gas has been cut off. Uh, gas came back again at 20% of the original load. So we have a crisis in Europe in the winter, of course, and uh, we have to toughen it out, I guess. On your question on crisis, well, Europe is not. Uh, uh a place which is unknown to crisis uh, as our founding father for a European Union, Jean Monnet, once said uh, Europe will be forged in crises and will be the sum of all the solutions adopted for this crisis. Um, again uh, the departure of uh, the populist uh, Dor- Boris Johnson is not anything um, that, that we haven't seen before. Of course uh, the, the loss of Draghi is, is tremendous because Italy has a big high debt burden So, but we have to live with this we have gone through
1: worse things, uh, Europe has a very good comeback gene. All right, let's hope that is the case. Europe having a great comeback gene, well put. Andy, let me go to you. With all the changes in Europe taking place, especially the anti-China sentiments that have been growing, uh, whichever pole that you're looking at, where do you see Europe's relations with China heading in trade as well as in diplomacy?
0: I think this is a very, very important question Wanguan. So we see, of course, that there is this global triangle, essentially, between China, uh, the EU, and the United States. Clearly, I think it's in the interest of Europe to perhaps be less dogmatic in terms of adhering to its values, especially where those values uh, involve imposing values on how... Uh, other countries should conduct their affairs. Um, And in this way, I think there are certainly very pragmatic voices uh, in Europe. Uh, Certainly, historically, Germany, I think, has had uh, a much more pragmatic and nuanced uh, view towards China. And certainly for China, the message has been consistent throughout the years uh, that it's about mutual respect. It's about an open door for dialogue, and it's really about creating a shared future, not shared values, especially those uh, values that one might feel uh, obliged to impose on others. Uh, There's another very important piece of this too when we think about Europe, and this is from a military perspective when we look at NATO. So of course, NATO's new concept uh, now that includes China is very worrying. Um, And we look at the evolution of NATO going from a regional defensive alliance to a regional offensive alliance to a global offensive alliance uh, with actions in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, and now potentially uh, involving Asia Pacific. So this is, I think, a very undesirable trend. Um, But again, these do not happen in a vacuum. Uh, It is a triangle of the United States, the EU and China working things out. And again, you know, I think I hope that cooler heads prevail in all three countries uh, or certainly U.S. and the voices in the EU that are more confrontational towards China and that really learning to live together is really really important and I do hope that that is what will prevail with EU-China relations.
1: Right, some of the postures uh, adopted by NATO did get many people in Beijing uh, nervous. Uh, Professor Liu, I want to ask you about the Chinese economy. The target set out by the Chinese government earlier this year was for the country's GDP to grow 5.5 percent year-on-year and now the IMF estimates there's only going to be a 3.3% growth for China. I mean, how important is it for China to meet this target? Is GDP everything once again?
2: Well, uh, we still maintain a footprint and legacy of the planned economy, and uh, which is really very helpful, at least to charter uh, the uh, grand goal of... Uh, uh, every five years and to be interpreted on a yearly basis, so therefore uh, the annual growth target is one that is there to guide different local governments and also uh, the blueprint of industrial maps, etc. Actually, uh, this is not as mandatory as before, and is more uh, serving as a guideline. And there could be some surprises because uh, the composition of GDP growth is there, you know, uh, government expenditure, consumer spending, exports and uh, uh, capital investment, etc. So it is not really uh, the 5.5 that really matters, it is really the quality of growth. For example, uh, China is now uh, very resolved, but still in a vulnerable position for a hefty transformation from labor intensity, energy intensity into more of a high end service sector and China uh, spends huge amount of money. We are talking about one point four trillion u uh, s dollars uh, you know to develop chips et etc so that 's going to be very costly and given the blockade uh, from the United States and so there is also some sort of emotional element into it so we and also now China does not really uh, rely on the real estate development for the major growth driver and uh, the government is spending more of the money on social infrastructures and particularly now the you know roads and ports etc. And uh, this is good over long term, but uh, uh, whether the return on the investment can really boost the, uh, the participation of those uh, private investors, so that's also uh, that also requires uh, a further consideration. But lastly, I think the more important is that how we deal with the COVID. Uh, it is really the uncertainty uh, provoked by possible further lockdown in selected areas, particularly in key areas like what we did in Shanghai. That's something that's going to create a huge hurdle uh, in the calculation of businesses and also even business partners like, you know, companies represented by Dr. Wodka.
1: Um President Wutke, I want to ask you about a recent speech given by the Chinese premier at a World Economic Forum event where Premier Li said that China will deepen high-level opening up and foster a market-oriented, world-class business environment. Um, actually, you were there at a CCPIT event. I was there too. And you've made a request list to the Chinese Premier about the things that the EU chamber hope the Chinese government can deliver. How did they go?
3: Let me first, uh, unfortunately, disagree with my friend Andy. NATO is not offensive, of course, it's defensive. Uh, uh, The Iraq war was clearly not a NATO action. France and Germany opted out of it. Iraq and Schroeder says, no way, we're going to join. And Afghanistan was uh, international, United Nations actions, uh, including uh, China. Well, the meeting with the Prime Minister May was fantastic. Um, He was really giving us a non-fluffy, non-political speech, business, uh, uh, gave us a, a mechanism that actually five days later was implemented by ccprt and uh, disseminated across china so if we had problems all of a sudden we had a real game changer uh, in the kind of responsiveness uh, of the chinese government and again my speech was all about COVID. Um, COVID uh, has been basically overcome in the rest of the world basically everyone has COVID, um, and uh, we have a resumption of normal with a notable exception of china of course uh, we're here in the whack-a-mole mode uh, where we can see that um, uh, any city can go down anytime, um, and then uh, it causes this uncertainty that my friend Bao Cheng was talking about. We have to overcome this, and uh, primarily, and that's where the prime minister agreed, was vaccination, vaccination, and vaccination again. China had been under-vaccinated, so I saw with great pleasure recently that not only the leadership has indicated they were fully vaccinated setting an example but also vaccination rates has gone up uh, now that might take a while 6 to 1 year 6 months to 1 year in order to get us where we want to be meaning opening up china again uh, we actually don't know where the economy is going ahead again the uncertainty is huge uh 3% is i guess manageable 5.5 is out somewhere in between we're going to end and we need china to succeed in the vaccination mode because china was basically the driver of the global economy over
1: the last uh, two or three years. Well, Andy, do you want to respond?
0: Well, I take Jorg's point, and I think reasonable people can disagree here about uh, NATO's actions, uh, NATO's words, and what seems to be the future direction of NATO. Um, and maybe I'll, I'll leave it at that. I have enormous respect... Uh, for your, But, of course, uh, reasonable people can disagree.
1: Of course, we all um, can agree to disagree on some issues, especially when it comes to geopolitics. So we're actually focusing on the, on the IMF report today. Andy, let me ask you about the U.S. economy because the IMF has underlined the two factors critical to global trade. And one of them is the appreciation of the U.S. dollar, um, which, of course, means other countries will have to pay more for most of the items that they import. How big a risk is it?
0: Well, I think it certainly is an important risk, Guan. As you said, uh, some key commodities, uh, oil, of course, I think is one of the most important, if not the most important, that is denominated in dollars. So that, uh, in addition to the other factors that we touched on, some of the geopolitical considerations, uh, the structural design of oil production globally, uh, so we can see this is clearly a problem. Um, A higher U.S. dollar, of course, uh, can be good for Americans, gives them greater purchasing power on uh, purchasing imported goods. But, of course, uh, it's bad for people that want to buy uh, other products as well. So I think this is a concern. Uh, Related to this, we need to look at why is the dollar becoming stronger. And, of course, this is... uh, Uh, besides questions of NATO, are perhaps uh, very also controversial topics as well. Uh, But certainly one factor is uh, relative interest rates or interest rate differentials. And as the U.S. raises interest rates, of course, it becomes more attractive for all kinds of investors to want to shift uh, into dollar-denominated holdings. And this, of course, runs contrary to what I was saying earlier, that we may be Uh, looking at a sovereign debt crisis for the United States. Um, One, I think, very painful lesson some investors have learned is never bet against the Fed. You might be right uh, in theory or even in logic, uh, but uh, given the bazooka or the bazookas that the Fed is able to deploy, uh, very hard to say. So I think that, uh, Wang Guan, uh, a stronger dollar is a double-edged sword but certainly imposes uh, costs around the world and could be politically destabilizing as well uh, for uh, countries that are needing access to dollars.
1: Right talking about uh, risks another one is the outflow of capital um, Professor Liu Baocheng let me ask you uh, investors appetite for risk is decreasing obviously and they're likely to pull out of emerging economies to look for safer havens and during such times the US Treasury becomes a primary Choice for investors. How do you see the future of global investment, at least uh, in the short run?
2: We normally uh, distinguish uh, between hot money and cool money. You know, hot money are there to be very speculative, they are uh, more risk adoptive and uh, uh, they go hit and run. So for volatile economies, and uh, the this is really the favorite for the hot money, but uh, cooler money will go for longer term investment. So it's not only there to uh, gamble on uh, certain funds and or on short term liquidity issue, but they really go uh, even uh, with the uh, green development for uh, uh, for new businesses, etc. So right now, it is really the confidence that uh, investors can really receive from different uh, sovereignties, different governments, and there are you know countries that offer far higher uh, you know interest rates, but uh, they are not really uh, there uh, to be attractive given the risk calculation, also given the uh, uh, uncertain return on their investment. So therefore, uh, the United States, you know, is always there to bear the blame, whatever they do. But uh, uh, I think this is really a good move. That's there to cool down uh, the uh, possible uh, rise of inflation. And uh, Andy is talking about a bazooka, but I think it's more of a boomerang. And uh, they've been uh, Fed has been playing, and uh, uh, it has been rather successful actually to give a strong signal and to cool down the global commodity prices and also direct those investment uh, towards the more of a. Uh, long-term and high-quality growth, and uh, that could be really, uh, the result could really be shared by the world. And uh, even though a lot more people blame that the U.S. is getting more and
1: more protective uh, by itself. Uh, President Wood the transition to green, clean energy seems to have been hit by the fuel crisis. Uh, Do you see that happening? Yes, of course. Uh, it is happening, but possibly too late. I mean, we have been warned for decades, and
3: now it happens much faster than we thought. Uh, renewables are, of course, in. Uh, uh, but uh, of course, we, we have sinners. The European Union has been sinning with more coal because of the uh, inability of having enough gas, as well as China, because of the energy crisis, energy crisis last year has been kick-starting again, coal production. Uh, we have to grow out of this. And we have to grow out of this very, very fast, in particular as the economy is slowing down. Let me just end here by saying that, you know, the area of cheap finance is over. Uh, we have to get used to the fact that uh, debt burdens are going to boomerang uh, much faster. Hyper globalization uh, is over. Geopolitics is, as my friends Bao Chang and Andy said, uh, around the corner. And uh, that's going to hit emerging markets, definitely. Uh, but let me end on a positive note. Uh, you know, global cooperation is needed. Uh, WTO actually is not dead. Uh, Mofco Minister Wang Wentao was there, which is one. Wonderful! One of the first ministers to travel. So, really hope that the G20 in end of November sees President Xi participating.
1: Alrighty, thanks so much, President Wu, Andy, Professor Liu. Thank you all very much. And that will do it for this edition of the Hub. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Our news coverage continues. Bye and take care.